0: Hi all, welcome back to Down to Brown. Today I wanted to address, before we get into anything about this week's topic, how much I am so humbled and proud and grateful to be a part of the South Asian community. And, you know, with what's going on in COVID in India, it's truly remarkable to see how South Asians are showing up and raising awareness, donating their funds. If they have a platform, they're using it in order to tell more people about it. Um, And this has really been an interesting and not something we would have sought out, but I think especially as children of immigrants who are now in the US or other countries maybe, but identify as South Asian, it's been really troublesome to relive some of this trauma of COVID and seeing how it impacts the way that it did the US in 2020. It's basically kind of happening in a different form in India and even more deadly. even realizing themes about privilege um, that is present in the way that we were able to deal with COVID in the U.S., where we could take physical, social distancing space. We could be in lockdown. We could work from home, for example. Um, In India, it's not the case. Um, And also you see some similar themes, though, too, of income differentiation and access to healthcare depending on whether you're wealthy or not. Um, Same kind of government fuck-ups. and censorship so it's been really difficult and I just am incredibly in awe of our community for being able to bear this emotional brunt and work through this we're all personally impacted in a direct or indirect way um, and my heart goes out to anyone who is grieving or dealing with a loss due to this Um, but also we're doing the work of putting the word out there and convincing people why this is important. Um, Thanks to you all and Down to Brown, you inspired me. We hit 500 followers, which maybe for other people, they're like, girl, talk to me when it's at 500,000. But honestly, every person, I don't even like the word followers. I feel like it's a friend who joined the community and um, because we're all leaders in our journey to self-improvement and self-awareness of our (laughs) Asian and American identities. But I we donated five hundred dollars in honor of this um, five hundred membership in our Instagram community, and I wanted to say thank you all because you really inspired me to make that decision. Equally, I wanted to give a shout out to some of the allies that I've seen show up for this community. For example, one of my personal best friends, Vesna Chef, is on Instagram with her art. You can also find her at www.vesnachef.com. But she is an incredible artist who is now in Rhode Island studying art at the university there. Um, But she's a great artist, and she's donating her sales to COVID relief in India through Give India. And I really appreciated how she showed up. And it wasn't just once. Like, every day she's posting and telling people what's going on and also reminding them how they can help contribute by buying some of her art so that she can give those funds to COVID relief there's also a fantastic author Christine Chitness, who released a book Patterns of India she herself is Caucasian but her husband and children are um, Indian and she has been a really strong ally I think you know I have spoken to her before and she really understands like being a white woman writing about India, like it's, you know, how to respectfully do so, but also in times of crisis, she is showing up and every day is actively posting matching donations, et cetera. So I hope to see more allies do this um, because we're all in this together. And if not for your global citizenship care, um, if there's a variant in India that keeps spreading, which it will spread at some point because we know this is how it works, could be devastating for us all and like this normalcy that we're kind of experiencing in the U.S. will be gone again and um, I just hope that people see why they should give a shit about this. That being said, I'll get off my soapbox. I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest this week who keeps it equally real and uh, such an approachable, relaxed, intelligent way. His name is Ian Sanyal and he's one of the brothers who founded Kolkata Chai in New York. And though they're a cafe based in New York City, they have a community that spans across the US and outside um, on Instagram. They're also very active in the South Asian community. Um, And I just, I'm such a huge fan. They honor what Chai has been historically and what its story is. They educate in a way that's not exclusive, like, haha, this is South Asian, but they're very inviting. They want everyone to come. It's an inclusive space. Learn a little bit more about chai, maybe than they walked in, but leave with a delicious drink, um, food, and conversation. And so, the style at which they're introducing this narrative to the Western community and really taking control of the narrative I think that's one of the things that frustrates many of us is like the narrative about a lot of South Asian items or practices like yoga, chai, Ayurvedic practices, etc., are told by the white community and we wonder like, we wh- what's going on? Because this is our thing. Um, how come we're not getting that platform? So I love how Kolkata Chai and the Sun brothers are doing it in a way that is approachable and inclusive um, and At the same time, they also acknowledge and celebrate their parents' journey to the U.S. and their relationship with it and being the children of immigrants and how that also really defines that community that we build today in the U.S. So just I'm such a huge fan for all these reasons. And Ian and I have a great conversation about the history of Chai, what it means to us today, what it's like to have this type of community in his shop or virtually but also we get into this piece where I kind of slipped in these questions about like you're a brown boy what's it like with all these brown girls coming at brown boys right now because you know it's a very much a time where we're calling out some of the misogyny and patriarchy that existed in exists in our communities today so with that I know this is again another longer episode but I hope you get as much joy from it as I did um let's get to it and introduce Ian. And thank you so much for joining Dr. Brown.
1: Hi Lahari, how are you doing? Today?
0: Doing very good. I have my chai in my hand in honor of you. It's not a chai, but I have Telangana chai since my mom's from <laughs> Telangana.
1: That that'll do in a pinch. That sounds great.
0: Exactly. And how about you? What are you drinking?
1: I'm actually drinking a cup of coffee right now, hmm. um, so maybe being a little, little bit of a traitor yeah. uh, to, to my own drink here, but uh, I don't know. I just forgot my morning cup this morning, so I was like, okay. <laughs> so make, you just don't discriminate. A caffeine is and caffeine. Honestly, I make chai every single day of the week, so um, I at home, I'm, I'm not really making chai too much these days. Uh, I do drink it when I'm at the cafe. Though.
0: That makes sense. Do you also feel like all your like cool gear and equipment is at, in the restaurant?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's also, that's also uh, yeah. Yeah. I like, I'm more comfortable making larger batches of chai. Sometimes I forget like how to make a small batch of chai. Yeah. It's just like a cup for myself. I'm like, what am I doing here? I
0: forget, so. <laughs> <Totally> <laughs> <like> Restaurant problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, well, thank you so much for being open to chatting. And I know like, let's just call it out. So, you know, down to Brown is usually uh, you know, for Brown women and their allies, but the allies piece been key. And I really enjoyed our conversation when we first met I was so intrigued by your company in general and like what you're doing with your brother um, for many reasons, one being just being able to share the narrative about chai from a South Asian perspective. Um, but also, you know, you had mentioned, you know, there's a really strong customer base of women. And so I'd just love to learn more about you and um, introduce you to our crew. So where in the South Asian experience do you identify with and what is Kolkata chai?
1: Sure. So personally, I identify as a as a South Asian uh, male. Um, and what is the chai? the chai started off as a, uh, a way to kind of give representation to a drink that I don't think people were doing justice to, mm-hmm. um, especially in a diverse culinary uh, place like New York City. Uh, you'd expect that you wouldn't have to go somewhere deep into a South Asian neighborhood like Jackson Heights or something to find a, a good cup of chai. But it was really hard to, to find a uh, good chai, especially at like, I was, again, I'm really into coffee. So uh, I was getting more into like the third wave coffee and learning sort of about beans and, and where they come from and, and roasting techniques. And I, I was seeing that all this attention was being uh, given to coffee. And then the chai on their menu is some like syrupy concentrate um, yes. from God knows where. And it tastes like a, a like a cinnamon latte and uh, that had no connection to sort of what uh, I grew up on my, on my trips to India. So the whole idea was to try to represent this drink properly and also, um, create sort of a space, um, for South Asian culture in, in sort of a, a, a youthful modern uh, way. And, um, so yeah, once we started doing our small events and things, things really took off and, and, um, we were like, you know, we have to turn this into a a cafe to give people a a space to sort of gather around.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know many places like this. So I'm so envious of the fact that New York has this and we don't have this right now locally where I am at. Um, And I can't wait to visit um, next month. And so you're totally right. I mean, I think if anything, it's kind of great to know that people like the taste of chai, but you know, that history behind it and Even the fact, like, you know, I told you, my mom made this and she like put in like a bunch of fresh ginger and, you know, all these seeds. Ah, And and, yeah, I was like, wait, I'm being healthy. I'm a healthy bitch because I'm having (laughs) ginger, (laughs) you know, like fresh ginger. And so I forget that there are actually like really healthy properties about it, too, that we forget about because of the syrups. Um, But you started, you said pretty recently, and that's a great success story. So the fact that you opened up that cafe, um, you had mentioned you started it a little before the pandemic. So, mm-hmm. how did that pandemic change your business, and was it for the better or worse?
1: Yeah, I mean, the pandemic was, um, you know, earth shattering for for people everywhere, and for us, six months through the business, we had just had our first winter, and retail winters. I mean, they don't really tell you. Well, they do tell you, but I didn't realize how drastic it was going to be. Um, but basically, after like January comes around and people really stop spending, they stop going out because they've spent everything on. Mm. on the holiday season and so those those January February months were already really tough for us for, for us our first winter in the cafe you know people weren't really um coming as much as they used to and we'd also just kind of like seen that hype cycle kind of die down and so it was this really like test to us of like you know can we um you know can we get it hot again in 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 a, in a way and um And then the pandemic hit and it was just like everything was kind of tossed out the window and we had to completely reevaluate sort of even if our business could survive so i mean um it's funny because i think a part of me getting up and going to work every single day during those moments especially like during the new york lockdown during Mm -hmm. uh, you know april and and even may um that helped me get through it because i always had some place to go to even though like it was very stressful (laughs) it was better than kind of sitting at home twiddling my thumbs Um, so yeah, we quickly, uh, started an e-commerce business, um, where basically we were packing our, um, the mix that we have in the cafe, we were basically, uh, we just started buying way more of it and, and packing it into little bags, um, that we could sell online. And so that, uh, really changed the business for us. Um, it gave us a whole sort of new avenue, um, that we hadn't really been doing too much in. And so, um, in a way, yeah, it was really stressful Would I do it again, definitely, not. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't think there anyone would say lining, that about
0: 2020.
1: <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> but there, there was a silver lining to it. Uh, so, uh,
0: well, I think that's a yeah. testament to your perspective too. And it sounds like a very positive perspective of making the best of the situation you had. Cause I can imagine that's super, super nerve wracking to be going in and out of work, right? Like during that time, especially like, I think mm-hmm. we were quick to forget <laughs> trauma, but it was like a very traumatic, stressful oh, yeah. time to like no. go outside.
1: We were doing deliveries um, through like the beginning of April. I don't know when we stopped, but I remember like distinctly doing a delivery and these deliveries were just like, I was, I was making all the chai in the morning. And then me and my brother, Ani, we were going out in, in my, nissan rogue and making these deliveries all across my hand in brooklyn and i remember just like in an elevator i don't even know if i was wearing a mask to be honest at that point because it was like they were like yo you don't need a mask or you know the cdc was like oh I'll save masks for the first first responders or whatever oh, yeah and i just remember in an elevator being like covid is everywhere like what am i doing this is yeah. really risky for me um so uh yeah after that we, we stopped the deliveries and moved to the e-commerce side of things but it was yeah it was super stressful and. Um, not something that, yeah, I would like to be repeated, but in the same way, it really taught us how to um, be nimble and and how to kind of expand our brand and expand our reach because people are now like, I've, I've shipped out chai kits to like Guam and, you know, North Dakota and like really kind of remote places that I wouldn't think that we would have, uh, you know, fans in, but um, it's, that feels really good.
0: That is wild. And congratulations on being able to find something like that that resonates. I feel like e-commerce it's only growing, um, that space for yeah. retail. So even if the restaurant like industry steps into that, like a lot of folks have been doing that more and more, like pickups and pop up mm-hmm. boxes, et cetera. And it's been actually a super, super friendly i think for the consumer yeah for sure but at the same time i feel like you highlight a really important fact about the restaurant industry and how much of a sacrifice people had to make to go to work and make sure that people still had like we weren't willing to sacrifice a food piece and convenience piece so Mm, um it's both sobering too but also glad that there were some innovative ideas that you guys got out of it um that we get to benefit from as customers for sure Yeah. And so with your business, you're honoring a very long standing tradition in South Asian culture. And what I'm really excited to do today with you is to learn more about chai because we talk about this so much. And to your point, a lot of South Asians are getting a little triggered by like chai tea. And so I think Mm -hmm, it's a good mm -hmm. way to like level set and understand, you know, when we learn about the history of chai and you see what parts of it were uniquely South Asian and originally South Asian and what parts weren't and maybe introduced by the British. Do do you think like, can you tell me a little bit about the history and does Chai really belong to us?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. And I think it's funny because um, there was this kind of like cultural, uh moment I think in South Asian culture where a lot of people were like that's not chai, like chai is not chai tea, chai is <laughs> not your Starbucks chai latte. And that initial kind of like framing for us was was really interesting because um everyone knows what chai is, but nobody knows what chai is, right? Mm-hmm. And so because Starbucks had kind of brought it in the, even the early 90s, I believe they brought it. Um to like all their cafes everyone kind of knows what chai is but then when you ask someone like what is actually in chai they won't really be able to tell you that yeah um so when we came in it's kind of like this really cool educational moment for people to learn that oh it's actually like a a spiced milk tea that we make from scratch and it's not some weird like cinnamony concoction that you're getting and you don't really know what's inside it Mm -hmm. um and so uh yeah, the history of chai kind of um, it, it is again, it is kind of like a back and forth um, between cultures and colonization, um, where you know, tea was originates from China actually, um, and so people were definitely trading it. Uh, the Dutch and the British East India Company were were trading it in the 1600s, and the West was developing an appetite for this tea. Um, but then uh, the basically China had very really well-kept tea production secrets. Mm-hmm. And so they were not, the British wanted to find a way to produce it themselves. Um, so, you know, they started all those opium wars and stuff like that to try to even right. out this trade imbalance. Um, but ultimately they were like, okay, we have to pick India to be, uh, to grow tea in. Mm. And during this time in Assam, actually, there were, uh, they're called the Singfo. So Assam, I don't know if you know, but Assam and Nagaland and Meghalaya, that, uh, that very kind of eastern uh, hook of India um, has a lot of sort of tribal and indigenous people living there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is actually a Singfo tribe of people that were, and still to this day, I believe, they still have a, a tea drink that they boil uh, using a tea plant.
2: Oh wow. Um
1: and so the British saw this and they're like wait, maybe we could draw uh maybe we could actually uh plant tea here and and have our own sort of um, tea production facilities. And so it took them a long time and you know a lot of ah, bringing down jungles, um importing lower caste uh, laborers mm. and all this kind of not not great stuff, um, which is kind of like why tea is kind of drenched in this colonial history. Um, oh. But ultimately, were they were able to set up uh, production tea production facilities in Assam, and then later uh, in Darjeeling and the West Bengal area. And so, the, I visited the West Bengal, and the Darjeeling areas. I haven't really been to Assam yet, which I still want to go to. Um, but that's sort of how this Indian tea industry was created. And then chai came along because um, a lot of the uh, like the Indian and and Mughal royalty uh, used to kind of drink uh, medicinal spice blends, so using cardamom, ginger, and all these types of things, fennel, um, they would create their own sort of medical drinks uh sans without kind of the tea leaf, and so and
0: these were like the ayurvedic like no yeah tea, yeah right, exactly
1: in exactly it? yeah no tea in it um because the tea leaf was not introduced but the definitely the spice blends and, and the jaggery and the sugar um and these kind of they're more like elixirs right mm. um and even to this day uh like outside uh there's a park where my grandfather uh my grandfather's houses and there's a guy who makes all these concoctions for you so you basically go up to him and he's like a he's like a medicine man you know (laughs) (laughs) um where he'll like take the root of this tree and blend it together and you you kind of tell him your ailments and he'll make up a drink that um whoa that's like a real life
0: uh you know that movie Chocolat like I'm gonna sound really pretentious trying to do the French accent
1: but uh... like (laughs)
0: Like, chocolate but she does the same thing with chocolate people come in and they're like i have this uh, problem yeah. and she's like pound this take this <laughs> so oh, that's incredible this man sounds like a miracle worker
1: right right and so i mean there is i mean i i ayurvedic, I, I don't like using the term ayurvedic because like yoga it's kind of I feel like lost some part mm. of its meaning um but the spice blends in chai are yeah they come from from ayurvedic roots and basically when the British were promoting tea in India itself for, for Indians to cons- consume, um, it kind of took off and everyone, every tea vendor on the street was making their own sort of masala chai blends, mixing it with milk. Um, and so that's kind of how modern modern chai was sort of invented. It was invented on the street and and that's sort of an aspect that I love of it. Um, I love street food and every time we would go back to to Calcutta and street food was like Honestly, like it was one of the, the reasons why I would go back to get, you know, your, your kati rolls and your chai yeah. and jalebi and like from all the vendors that had been uh, serving my family like for generations. It was always like a really exciting point of our trip was the food. Um, yeah. And so we, we love that energy of street food. And that's something that we try to uh, kind of bring every day to, to the cafe.
0: Definitely. And you're so right. That street food. Like sometimes it feels like you're sinning as like an Indian American going like to India and eating it knowing that like you might get sick after, but it oh, doesn't yeah, matter because the taste no, is so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really interesting because you know, that chai, ha, its origins, it sounds so approachable and you know, the, what you described and that it, it's a street food and it became a street kind of experience, very communal is what I imagined. So I know there's an element of the British being involved. They were a player in this play. Um, so can you expand a little bit about how the British got involved with this and how it almost became, because that tea time concept, you know, mm-hmm. one thing we learn more and more is like Indians didn't really have that concept before, but like it was something that South Asians were introduced to by the British colonization kind of culture. Yeah.
1: yeah. So as I was saying, like the the Dutch and the British were importing tea, massive quantities from China and developing their sort of own tea culture of, of tea time uh, in, in the West. And mm-hmm. so basically, again, tea started, it, it went against, um, it, it started with the upper class uh, in the West, in, in Britain and, and Portugal and wherever. Um, and then slowly as it became more and more popular, it was introduced to, to everyone. Um, And the British were, so the British basically, once they started producing tea in India, once they started commandeering the the factories and and, uh, finally had their own tea production facilities, they were producing way too much tea. They were producing even tea um, outside of their their own demand in the West. And so the next place they looked at was India. (laughs) And and what was the, the British Raj at that point of how can we get more domestic tea consumption?
0: And why did they pick um, on India? Because they had a lot of colonies.
1: Yeah, I think it was it was right there. I think it, it made <laughs> sense because, uh, you know, obviously, like, traveling and things like that were much, much harder. And so it was like, why don't we get all our colonies? And, they, again, they did it with America, too, obviously, um, with the, the Boston Tea Party. Mm-hmm. But um, I believe India was was kind of right there and had a huge population. And, and again, this population was also slowly um, – you know, people were advancing economically, so there was an opportunity there to uh, create an industry from it. And so they actually went on a they created what they called the Indian Tea Association and went on like a a crazy marketing spree um, yeah. and basically started instituting tea breaks uh, in factories. They had tea stations at um, at all the they had like tea vendors at all the the railway stations and all the travel areas. And so it was it was a very concerted effort um by the British to, to increase domestic tea consumption. And and now actually India drinks uh the Indian subcontinent drinks like the most tea in the world. Wow. Um, China still produces the most tea, but India drinks like I think seventy percent of tea produced in India is drunk domestically or something like that, which is a ridiculous number. It's a yeah it's a, it is a land of tea drinkers for sure.
0: Gosh, that is such a nuanced backstory, because on one hand, you know, going back to our original question of does chai really belong to us in one way, it does in one way, it doesn't in one way, even though it's like a beautiful demonstration of cultural kind of fusion, when you see the crossover with China, British culture and India, there's also that piece of like, not, not all of it was consensual, like the colonization piece. So it's almost like the perfect amount of addiction substance to introduce to a population because obviously the caffeine is addicting. It's not quite a drug. So sort of like a very interesting um, thing for them to pick. So what is your conclusion on that? Like that question of like, does chai really belong to South Asia or like India?
1: Yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll say that even though the, the British introduced tea um, we love our spice and masala chai, uh, you know, the way that a street vendor makes it, I think that is something that's uniquely found in India, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it, it's it is a it is a A byproduct of colonization. But in in itself, it's a it's a unique innovation.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so I would I would say it's complicated. But you know, the Masala Chai is definitely, definitely a South Asian invention. So
0: that's true. Uh, I, think, I think we
1: can we can take that. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, and then you did mention this earlier, but the piece of Starbucks introducing chai, quote, quote, um, flavors, it actually just tastes like a Christmas drink, in my opinion. Right, um, right. But Yeah, but uh, that piece being introduced in the States. Um, and then, of course, I remember growing up in the 2000s, people asking me, like, Oh, do you know chai? Like, I love chai. You seem brown. Yeah. And I was like, wait, how do you know chai though? So, like, <laughs> right. I was trying to understand, and this makes sense now. Um, but it's almost like a, I think you and I talked about like a second level and second tier of colonization happening again, where When we use the word colonization, I want to be clear that it means that like we were hearing this story, it's being introduced and brought to by a culture that is not the culture that it actually comes from. Exactly. So um, how, what do you know and how do you feel about the chai that we drink today in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think um, it's important to note that the top American companies are not founded uh, American chai companies are not founded by people of any kind of South Asian heritage. Um, and that's something that when, when i kind of, I don't know, discovered that or rediscovered that it was like, Oh, this is, this is interesting. There's really no representation here for a drink that, you know, again, is something that South Asians definitely claim as as their own.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so I think there was definitely this like Indianization, uh, happening with the Beatles and, um, you know in san francisco in the 70s kind of part of that hippie movement as people discovered yoga and like mm. that sort of interest i think ultimately related uh, ultimately resulted in um you know people understanding what chai is maybe having it but i think of it as like a weird telephone game where it's like they might have had it somewhere and then when starbucks was developing the recipe they're like okay this is how we're gonna do it and like a lot of things got lost in translation Um, and so again, like, you know, because of their presence and, uh, people's just being familiar with Chai, it has a lot of awareness. But again, when you dig a little deeper, people don't really know what it is and where it comes from. But that's sort of how I think about the second wave of colonization is, is people, um, using this telephone game and and bringing it back to, to the West, but not actually knowing sort of where it comes from and not being part of the culture that it comes from.
0: Right. So one of the ways that I, one of the things I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, since you are more of an expert than I am, is when we do talk about the second wave of colonization, I, I naturally sometimes can't help but feel some anger around, you know, how our story is being taken away so many times over in history. Mm. And I, you know, a lot of my friends too, like, that. you know, we'll kind of joke like, oh, try tea, like, if I hear it one more time, like... And you know, I don't know if that's the healthiest place to be in either, like a space of anger and frustration. Like yeah. the other day, I was at Berkeley Bowl, um, which is a local kind of shop for more organic uh, international foods in this area. Yeah. And there's this uh, teak uh, that I was like, "Oh wow, this like masala chai." I'm just gonna grab this, and then I saw the brand was like David something, and I was like, "Who's David something uh-huh. making masala chai?" Like, I don't uh-huh, wanna, you uh-huh. know. So I think I just get like, how do you address the kind of frustration? you know, cause I know I'm not alone. Um, the frustration around, you know, our story and like, you know, at some point, like, of course, like while Kolkata Chai is trying to connect, correct this notion and be a representat- uh, representative in our, in the space, mm-hmm. there's still going to be that other players out there that might not yeah. be telling the story from a South Asian perspective or heritage. So how do you think about that? Especially you and your brother, when you talk about that piece
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, I think of it as a business person to be, to be frank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it comes down to like where you're giving your dollars to. Um, if you know that there are South Asian brands out there that are making really good chai, it's like you should support them. If, if that's something that matters to you, um, it, it is a free market. And that's what I, you know, like yeah. about this country that anyone can kind of do whatever they want when it comes to business. Um, but at the same time, I think especially when we kind of learned last summer uh, with the George Floyd protests is like where your money goes matters. And so yes. supporting black owned businesses or supporting brown owned businesses when it comes to chai is is something that you can kind of make your wallet speak for itself. So, you know, I, I'm i kind of, uh, anger is not really productive as a, as, a, yeah. as a business person. So I think like feeling that initially as a consumer might be okay. Um, but then again, just like redirecting your support and redirecting your dollars is probably the best way to to do it. And, you know, we intend on becoming the the biggest chai company that we can be. Um, but in order to do that, we do need people kind of championing ourselves. And, and people have been doing that and um, have been sort of uh, recognizing us, which is really cool. Um, but I think, yeah, that's that's the best way to do it is, is through your support and your
0: dollars. Yeah, I really like that. And I will keep that in mind with those moments where I get triggered. Um, That's really for sure. So, with the work that you're doing, you are probably seeing more attention or a a platform to be able to talk about the story of Chai and be a perspective, right? There's so many other perspectives, even in our South Asian continent, about our relationship with Chai. But, um, Mm -hmm. what are some of the kind of hopeful, positive experiences that you've had where you think, like, hey, I feel like this might be working, you know, Kokarecha's mission, like, you know, this is yeah, actually happening. Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, there there's so many, I think I'll just, I mean, I had a friend recently tell me that, like, they had a, a curing chai at his work or whatever oh, <laughs> and gosh. and he was like wait a second guys you don't even know <laughs> about <laughs> chai <I'm> like <laughs> let me put you on to chai and so like you know uh empowering my, my friends or so whatever in that way is like really cool and I think um and people have been doing that you know a lot of uh a lot of our cafe traffic is is just word of mouth and like there are um there's another a lady who comes to the cafe all the time and she's like every time I bring this in, anytime anyone sees me with a cup in my building they're like oh my god I have to go there um and so it's kind of like it's I don't want to say spreading the gospel because that might be a little a little too religious but um <laughs> it is that idea of like oh like once you know the real thing then people do feel empowered to to kind of spread it and that's really
0: cool absolutely it's good to know there's an interest and sometimes I feel like too there's we, we do, we might have a big talk about like, you know, for example, I referred earlier to my friends and I of like, Oh, chai tea. And, but, uh, someone has to go out there and actually do it in a way that intersects the piece of also like, this is a free market. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm glad that people like you and your brother are doing that because, um, without that too, we don't have that education. And to your point, it's not that we're trying to be like, Oh, chai belongs to only us. It is a very, like, it would defeat the purpose of, actually like it's a communal it invites all um guests into your right. home etc exactly but yeah we want like there's a piece of like please give credit where credit is due and maintain the integrity of it for sure for sure yeah, yeah. so uh, speaking of people walking in um we, you and I had talked about like I asked you like how how many of your customers like tell me a little bit about your customers and you mentioned some interesting kind of data about the demographics. So
1: uh-huh.
0: um, tell me a little bit about the folks that do walk into your shop.
1: Yeah, I think uh, young women of, of South Asian heritage or young brown women tend to be uh, a large part of our, our demographic. And so that uh, sort of making sure our business is accessible and inclusive uh, to everyone is, is super important to us. But uh, yeah, we definitely we got to champion our, our brown women. Um, yeah.
0: How do you do that? How do you make it an inclusive space for women?
1: Yeah, I think, well, it's, it's not that difficult <laughs> because chai is not gendered. Yeah. <laughs> and So it's like, you know, anyone, anyone can get a cup of tea. Um, but I think in terms of marketing materials, the best way that we feel like we can do it is to hire, um, uh, people of color, especially brown women when it comes to helping our brand out. Um, so our design was, was done by, uh, Bubba Patel.
0: Mm-hmm. I love her.
1: Okay. Uh, we have to like we have, this is going to be a good decision it was it was a It was a risky decision for us because it was the most that we've like ever allocated to um that kind of stuff um, because we usually have like talented friends and talented people in the sort of graphic design design yeah. area that can do that work for us, but we were kind of taking a leap and going with someone that we didn't know as well because her work was so stunning yeah and, uh, I'm it so really glad is. we did because. Moving beyond your nine to five and empowering uh, women in that way to mm. to pursue their passions, and so they had a whole panelists and guest speakers and, and programming throughout the day, and so we were uh, we were really grateful to to be a part of that event back in whew, I want to say twenty it might have been early twenty nineteen or, or twenty eighteen even, um, mm. and then there was another one of my friends was doing like a, it was called a one bazaar, which is another um, you know queer people of color led event. Uh, so just like, you know, tapping into the artistic community in New York, tapping into the, the sort of outside the nine to fivers, uh, in our area and, mm-hmm. and partnering with them was super, um, important to us, especially in the beginning. And it was a way for us to not only give back, but like build something together with people. And I think, um, that's sort of how we look at it.
0: Absolutely. And I, um, I, I like understand completely that risk that has to be taken initially, especially, you know your piece of you know hiring bottle and um her work is so phenomenal i actually contacted her for my wedding um coming up and oh, nice. i was like i can't afford this <laughs> but it's very well <laughs> yeah, deserved. Yeah, she it's has like a, very fair pricing
1: <laughs> she has a she has another wedding offshoot yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah. yeah super super talented
0: totally um adore her work but i can imagine it's terrifying when you make an investment like that
1: especially when the cafe wasn't built and there was like right. nothing coming in it was like oh okay um, yes. <laughs> but yeah again like every day we have people that come in they're like oh my god this like the business cards look so good and right your instagram is so amazing and so all those things uh, you know give credit to her so
0: totally it's a really great bet that you made um and so like what why do you think more women going back to what you mentioned with like more women come into the shop and making that inclusive space, which I so mm-hmm. appreciate that you guys recognize that early on and have been very intentional, it sounds like, with making sure the people coming in feel like they're seeing people who look like them, too, in the store. Um, wh- why do you think women are into a chai more, right? Like third wave, like I've noticed, like it's kind yeah. of equal and I'm not a coffee owner, so let me know if I'm like caffeine splaining, um, but you know oh, I've no. noticed like with coffee shops, it's kind of equal. In fact, more men who kind of hang around um, the coffee shops with their laptops. But what about chai? Do you think is making like calling yeah. women?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I think it can be partially attributed to just um, women being the primary cooks and chefs in in like Indian families and in South Asian families. Um, and so their relationship to chai, it might strike on another level than just being a family thing when it's like when it's your mom who's teaching you or your grandmother teaching you how to make the chai,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which kind of brings an extra fondness to it. Uh, but that's something that I've always noticed as I've grown older in India. It's like men don't know too much about cooking. Uh, and again, there are like weird divides here. I think we mentioned last time when we were talking where it's like men do certain cooking jobs while women do other cooking jobs. Um, so like scrambling eggs might be like a man's job, but yeah. uh, you know, making chai. Or the girl, that's yeah. like the
0: American version. Yeah,
1: making chai is kind of like like the, the lady's job, which again, it doesn't really make too much sense. It's probably deeply seated in sort of like patriarchy, but um, that is sort of the only explanation that I can think of of why it's kind of drawn uh, drawn towards. Like most of our Instagram followers tend to be mm-hmm. women. Um, and so that's that's some, like, that's like a demographic that we want to speak accurately towards. But um, yeah, that's the only reason why I think it's like, it might be so yeah. attractive. Uh, but other than that, I mean, chai is, it's a wonderful, like, you know, while coffee kind of is like, has this like macho-ness to it, right? It's like, oh, I drink like black coffee. Yeah, yeah you know, like chai is, is warmer, it's milkier, and there might be something there too, but maybe I'm reading too much. Freudianly really
0: into it. <laughs> yeah, I thought a lot about that piece too after we initially spoke about this kind of gender connection with it. And you know, honestly, too, for me as as a South Asian woman, like for me, try like I I did not grow up learning how to make it actually. It was something that my mom was really proud uh-huh. of her recipe. But I remember associating it with my mother because it was just such a, like, to your point, like, that warmth of it. Um, mm-hmm. It just associated it with me as, like, the female figure in my life. So, to me, chai is, like, a window to access that sort of familiar feeling and warmth of, like, my mom's, you know, embrace or kitchen and, like, just vibes. Um, right. But right. then also right. it would infuriate me because of that piece you mentioned of this inequity of, like, men not making chai. And I'm not all men do that. Like, I think there are a lot of men now, especially South Asian men who do this. And um, it's not a shock, but, you know, back then to your point, like they would be the ones like women would be the ones bringing it out. Men would be the cons- consumers. And it was also sometimes a point of mm. contention. Like I remember my mom would get really upset when, if she was sick, my dad wouldn't make chai for her. And she's like, he, he couldn't even make me a chai, you know, when I'm sick, I still have to go make it. Right, right So right. to me, chai almost had like an association of like, equality in the household. Um, and I refused to make it because I didn't want to be like the person who has to make it. Once you know how to make it, yeah. like you make it, you make it. So I kind of protested until literally today. I was like, mom, I think you need to like, actually teach me how to do this because how am I supposed to make it when you're not around? Um, so that's, you know, I'm curious, like if you have a connection with your family and like, you know, we talk generally, but who are the women in your life that shaped you and brought you that connection to South Asian, like the South Asian kitchen and especially chai?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, that's really interesting. Cause I was just thinking about my parents and them, them making tea for each other. And if they do something similar and I don't know, I don't know if they do, I think they're maybe a little bit more equitable on their chai making because cool. my dad is also uh, a cook. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's, it is a, it definitely, I think there have been some fights over who made the chai <laughs> and, why don't you give me my chai and you know, you made chai for yourself. Yeah. And not it. <laughs> it's, it's definitely it's a, a hot thing. Topic. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, but it is, it is like a, it's an act of service either right. way. So it's kind of kind of interesting to look at it that way. Um, but yeah, the, the women in my life are obviously my, my mother. Um, my mom was always like, uh, the culinary, especially when it came to Indian food, like she's definitely the culinary figure in in our household. I mean, she knew all the recipes. Um, She never taught me anything. So that's a huge point of (laughs) (laughs) these days where I'm like, Ma, you literally like you make this food all the time, but you haven't told me anything of how to make it. Um, So I still want to like learn all the recipes from her. Um, And then obviously my my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, um, my mom's mom was, was the, head chef in, in the household, in my grandfather's house in India. So again, kind of milling around, I was always milling around kitchens as a kid. And so, um, just figuring out what, what was going on in there, uh, was, was really interesting for me. Uh,
0: do you feel like that, you know, especially Indian men, there's a stigma of like being in the kitchen, usually Indian men, I don't find them in the mm-hmm. kitchen. So was that something that you were ever, you know, was that ever brought up by your friends or did you ever feel like, kind of like, oh, I'm not supposed to do this because of that stigma?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, no, uh, because my dad also loves to cook. Right. That's true. And so I guess he he kind of broke down that barrier for me. So it was never like a, it was never like a, a kind of gendered issue in, in our household. Um, but yeah, I would always like milling around the kitchen, but I do want to there's always been a chip on my shoulder because I wish my parents when I was younger had given me more rain mm. to, to like cook more uh, because I feel like if I had actually watched my mom cook more, I would have had like even more of an interest. I would have pursued like cooking more professionally, even younger. Right. I don't know. That's, that's just a thought, but uh, yeah. And it's funny cause I don't, I don't even think my mom would consider herself a feminist, uh, but just she was always like always about kind of, treating people right and having sort of a very equality mind to it. So, like, there was very little, like, gendered pressure for, for me and my brother growing up. Like, I I figure skated, <laughs> uh, which was very dominated by, by women. <laughs> I figure skated until until I was, like, seven or eight. Um, and, like, I didn't – and then until, like it's, – it's kind of a sad story because I wish I didn't stop. Um, but I was, like, I don't really want to do this anymore. It's all girls, mom. And, like, you know, it was kind of bringing me down a little bit. I was like, I want to play hockey, and she's like, No, you you're going. You're going to get you're going to get beat up playing oh, hockey, no. so you're not going to play hockey. And so
2: that's how <laughs> so I got to
1: stop. But yeah, but there there might have been this future life of me as as a figure skater if I had been too worried about um you know the gender yeah. issue. But again, yeah, in that way, I think it was like my my my, my parents uh, were really good in that way of of just like letting me and me and my brother kind of pursue whatever we wanted. Uh, what the interests we wanted, they never really held anything back, so that's always kept us like curious about life and different pers- like different interests and I think that's what's kind of led me up to taking these weird weird career choices as a as a <laughs> so yeah but but don't get it twisted because my parents still while they let me pursue other interests it the end of the day was still like you have to go to college, mm. you have to get a- really like, reputable career like I remember I was studying. Politics or whatever. That was like, please don't study political science. Get out of that and do economics or something. And and he was ultimately, I think, right about that. Um, But like, definitely getting a degree and getting a real job. I think they gave up on the doctor lawyer thing a little bit uh, early on once they realized that we weren't really that skilled or smart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, there was still an immense pressure. I think me and my brother both had to carve out our own sort of vision for life and really. Do a lot of work in communi- communicating that to our yeah. parents, um, and that took a lot of effort still to like make this a real thing. And now, when my parents visit the cafe, they realize that it's like a real thing. Um, but so, it definitely took a lot of uh, a lot of coaxing in and convincing
0: parents. That makes sense. I mean, I see the reason why parents do that. It's a lot of that fear of you know we've come to this country. We want our pa- kids to be safe and stable and provided right. for themselves and independent beyond us so you know it took a long time for me to also appreciate like that compassionate view of why our parents did that because what you mentioned earlier really resonated with me of like you know when you were thinking of hockey and your mom was like "Nah," and you're like okay um you know there's yeah. so many things yeah, there's also this, I like, too. There's,
1: there's this fear yeah. there's like there's this oh you know business is too risky and there's this fear that's kind of built in again like generations of like yeah, just, I mean, all my, like, the men in my family sort of have been, like, all in really stable jobs throughout this thing. But when my dad came to this country, he, you know, he was switching careers and switching jobs. And like he didn't have the most stable um, sort of career trajectory, especially with, when the recession hit and stuff. And so through that, and seeing, like, our dad constantly struggle against career, like, with, with struggling, just maintaining jobs and not, get, like, not getting laid off. Me and my brother were like, this is lame. Like, you got to start your own thing mm-hmm. and, and be self-employed so that no one can really fire you. And so that was also kind of like a big, uh, big instigator to choosing an entrepreneurial path.
0: Absolutely. Which still has its risks, but at least if you feel like that's the piece that you're going to fight the hardest for and makes it easier, right. To survive in that. For sure. Yeah. Um, But you know what you mentioned earlier too, like the piece of like you. It sounds like you luckily had um, the scales kind of tipped in a way that were more balanced, where you could see yourself accessing things that typically we have a little bit of that toxic masculinity around. Um, And this Mm -hmm. misogyny and toxic masculinity is something that especially recently you see a lot of women starting to call out in our culture, and like you know there are so many memes and reels and TikToks et cetera that are calling this out and. I get rightfully so, right? For a long time, women yeah, haven't sure. been able to use that voice, and it's actually really great to see it. Um, how do you view this? Like, if I had to ask you, like, hey, like, please be my male spokesperson, like South Asian male spokesperson. Like, <laughs> how do you view this as a South Asian male? Like, do you do you feel like it's fair to be called out in this way? And I'm curious, like, how, as a male perspective, do you not take it personally? and consume that content how, how did you how do you receive it
1: yeah for sure uh so th- there's a couple things for me here i think like the democrat the memification, or like the democratization of uh, the democratization can't speak um <laughs> of of that like like you were saying like of those voices and kind of calling out brown f boys for, for who they are mm-hmm. like that has been really from just like a interest in digital um, digital culture has been really interesting really cool to see that people are empowered to speak that way um secondly i think like they're really funny like the memes are hilarious <laughs> yes. um and, and like spot on because like i know people in my community that do act like that um and i guess i feel huh, maybe like self-aware enough about it that, like, I know that I've never, no one's, like, really called me out on that stuff personally, so I can kind of distance myself and be like, okay, I'm not like that, and I'm aware of these traits that brown men might have, but I I can fully say that I don't encompass a lot of them, because I wasn't really growing up, like, I wasn't really spoiled by my mom like that, and, like, you know, I really don't have those kind of inclinations about how I feel, like, towards brown women, Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of nice to laugh at it. And you feel
0: like you're in on the joke too. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Not
1: be not be like, oh, getting like insecure, because they're also like it's I really find it funny when people like when insecure brown man like reply be like, haha, that's not true, like go back to your room or whatever, your parents will let you out of your room or whatever. And it's just like, oh wow, this is really funny. And so I think that cultural exchange is really really cool. Do you feel like because
0: of that piece where you're able to see it a little differently? do you find yourself then being on the side of, you know, if a man does comment that way, like being able to explain it as like a male ally? Um, Like, do you use your voice to like, you know, like, since you're like, well, I know that this is something that I don't want to do. And this is something I haven't grown up with. yeah.
1: Well, those guys are jokes. (laughs) So I don't, I I don't think I call them out like digitally, (laughs) but like, I think it's just funny uh, when, when people do like, try to clap back like that um but yeah no I don't I don't think I I, I reach out that way but I'll definitely I definitely support and, and like uh funny things that that my uh round women peers be posting yes
0: <laughs> do you I guess I'm asking like do you wish to use your voice to to help you know sometimes it's easy for you know it's for the for example like when something happens with Black Lives Matter, like while it's important for brown people to show up, like it's even more important for white people to show up. So similarly, mm. like, you know, with this, like when Indian women call men out, like it's also helpful when men also call men out about, you know, this toxic masculinity or misogyny that's existed. So do you feel like that's something that you feel like you you use your voice towards or are ready to, or you, Kolkata Chai is playing a part in yeah, that?
1: Yeah, that's... That's really interesting I don't think like publicly I don't really use my voice like that um, just because I don't really if it's not like a i don't know like a i don't know the when it comes to like social justice or any any type of like um when, when to post those things I kind of get tripped up sometimes mm-hmm. um, and I try to stay away from a lot of those like minor conversations uh, i do I definitely like am aware of it. And I do a lot of my research on my own. And so like, I, I think for me, it's really important to, uh, really know what you're talking about and, and look at all sides of the equation. And mm-hmm. then I, I kind of just like quietly will will donate, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and support specific causes that I find really interesting, but I try not to, to toot my horn too much on, on those things, um, so I don't know. If, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I think there's definitely maybe more I can do. Right. Um. But I think if anyone ever like reaches out to me on specific issues, and I and I can support them, and I can like uh you know amplify their voices or whatever, or even use KCC to, to do something. That's something that we always like look towards to to doing. Um yeah. It's been really tough in the pandemic because we haven't really um you know been able to do as much nonprofit work as we'd like to. I mean, we usually like, would give free chai to people and do the, and things like that, especially with events and stuff. Um, that's been a little bit harder with the pandemic. But again, like we know that our community got us here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, like giving back to to specific causes and amplifying specific causes has always been, um, it's always been part of our,
0: our mission. Yeah. And no, that's a really interesting and honest response. I, there is no right or wrong answer there. Um, well, the wrong answer being like, Fuck the cause or something but obviously we did not go in that direction um but i asked because also i think it's something that i've thought about even since you know last summer when you see all this activism happening and more and more now people are Mm -hmm. like okay now we are activist people so on instagram for example everyone's always posting but um Mm There comes a point where I started to, as I was talking to more different styles of expression for activism. So, for example, my own partner is Russian American, and he um, is not much of a like, I'm going to speak out on my Instagram because he typically doesn't speak out about mm-hmm. any, like, he just doesn't post things. But, you know, he's been learning and um, in private conversations will correct someone or with his family try to have a conversation or um, support to your point, like when there is something that happens, we'll donate or, you know, learn about it, listen. And, um, and so I think there are different ways. So to your point, like, I love that you're, I mean, what you're doing, even by talking to me on the podcast, right? Like you are definitely showing up in that way, your work with Brown Girl Mag, et cetera. So I do, I was, I asked because I think like, it's important for us to sometimes remember that, expression of activism doesn't always have to be the same you have some people who are really and should be the ones going out and talking about it um but there are others that can also do that work by enabling other businesses like b2b type of situation where you elevate right Right. so ultimately as long as you're elevating the conversation i think that's what's important so
1: yeah yeah I, i think yeah like personal that's interesting that you that you brought up those personal conversations and it's I don't know because social media becomes such a bubble. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like uh, you know people might feel like compelled to post when it comes to these like less social justicey things. Like like DMX's death became this weird like venue for content that people were all going and telling stories about DMX and or whatever, rather than kind of focusing on the death of of sort of a legendary musician um, and those weird kind of hype cycles or bubbles, whatever you want to call them, kind of get uh, a little overwhelming for me at times. Yeah. And so I'm like, I do talk, you know, I will have conversations with my friends and we'll like hash things out about certain issues. Especially I remember talking to my friends about like the Stop Asian Hate, um, uh, all, all like the, the the different kind of incidents that were happening across New York City and, and even Across America and like the, the, the gravity the gravity of those issues, uh, but again, like you know, I haven't posted too much about like stop Asian hate, and hate uh, but it's something that I'm constantly like being aware of. And I think um, with how fast the this news cycles go and how fast every day there's sort of like a different cause of activism, I think it's it's important to be uh, like informed about stuff. Um, but it does take me a little bit of time to digest things rather than just blatantly reposting something that I don't know too much about. So I guess I want to be careful about that. But again, in personal conversations and like on my personal education, I'm always kind of uh, keeping track and keeping tabs of what uh, important issues are are surfacing.
0: Totally. I think that's such a profound statement because I think like that's what we forget is You know, just I mean, even taking it back to like the academic setting of like adult learning styles, like we have all we all have our own ways of interacting and comprehending content Mm -hmm. and um, processing it. So, you know, the fact that we sometimes see it as like you have to post something to be aware like and be like, yeah, I know I care can be sort of damaging as well. Um, and that's kind of why I brought up my fiance and I conversation around like that piece of like, I mm-hmm. was thinking like, Hey, like you should be showing up, like you should be using your voice. And he's like, you might be really good at that, but I'm just not like, in fact, I probably wouldn't be as powerful or effective, but I'm probably more powerful and effective right. by coaching my yeah. boys, like in water polo about like, you know, how to create an inclusive atmosphere. And, um, right. So I think that's something that we need to remember because especially like recently, I'm sure you've been noticing too on Instagram, there's a lot of calling out of the fact that like, while okay. Like it's great that people really cared when the George Floyd murder happened and started posting, but at some point, like be really mindful and intentional about the content that you're sharing. So you don't also re-traumatize people. Um, And that really happened to me when I saw this one post about like this woman in Mumbai, I think, or um, she apparently yeah. was murdered right by her husband I Yeah, that too. yeah unfortunately.
1: and it was like, yeah. so,
0: um, I, it's fine. Like I appreciate the awareness they were building around it, but I think I needed a little bit of a trigger warning because that's so close to home for me that I just got yeah. really disturbed that night. And I remember thinking like, yeah. gosh, I, I feel this way. And it's, you know, obviously like Indian story connected with it my black friends are seeing this type of content every day and people are almost like self-righteous about it where they're like, Hey, like we care. And I'm like, yeah, but like, also like, that's why I think Micaiah Bryant people were sharing more of like her TikToks and like the joy of her life too, which is so important. Right.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I think it's funny because as a society um, we're constantly like correcting ourselves, especially when the news cycle is so fast and, everyone's it's just it's like everyone's opinion comes in on something and it kind of like tends to average itself out and like self-correct itself yeah. which is kind of like helpful in a way where it, it is like something like that like you know or even when uh if you remember last summer when everyone was posting the black state uh the black square with yes. the hashtag and then everyone was like hey don't post the hashtag because that's actually like removing um, important information about protests and things like that so it's just like these ways of of kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, self self policing ourselves, yes, um, questioning uh, a and questioning and and self correcting, uh, which I think is like when it comes to social media, I think is kind of helpful because I think the things that I'm seeing on on TikTok and Instagram now are definitely more positive and more actionable, and um, it's just becoming uh, we're, we're finally I think we're getting comfortable with this like twenty four seven news cycle that's constantly battering mm-hmm. us that we're, we're quickly able to kind of figure out our priorities as a society. I mean, right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but obviously like India yes. and even Pakistan are going through a crazy <sighs> COVID spike that's not even, you know, it's going to peak in like June. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's something that as a cafe, like, you know, we benefit a lot from products of India and obviously Indian culture and uh, the, low, the low labor that produces our uh, low 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 paid weight, uh, labor that produces our tea right so yeah. um these are all things that we have to be kind of like cognizant of and then being like okay well how can we kind of support uh, a place where that you can't even like people us staying oxygen tanks because there's not enough oxygen for for people so
0: yeah absolutely uh, it
1: is it is kind of a scary world but i think that uh, we're getting better at uh, parsing out our priorities um
0: online yes i completely agree i think um sort of the thing, like you have to do it, then start learning from it. Um, and I think we're all starting to learn from that too. Like the black box piece right. you mentioned, square, sorry. Like I, I did that too. And I remember being like, shit, okay. So like we all at some point too, like who did, we didn't question too, who was asking us to post that. Um,
2: right, and, right. yeah, like exactly. the piece was
0: like, actually do the work. And so I remember being like, well, I will promise and commit to do the work too, but I did feel a little foolish for falling for that piece um but you know and it's yeah yeah. absolutely because the news like to your point is coming at you from every direction it's coming at the news it's also coming from like your social feed it's just a lot but
1: i also feel like uh like i don't know the way that you're even approaching me in this conversation is like super helpful and and like very productive in a way where it's not like we're actually having a conversation about it and it's not like things are erupting and you know you're accusing me of something i'm accusing you back of something at like that's it. That's it. Like that's (laughs) the comments online and like that ends, but like actually having a productive discussion and listening to each other. um, That's the only way that we can like really kind of move forward uh, in these situations that kind of, again, we're, we're, um, we're unpacking generations of, of trauma and generations of of, uh, oppression kind of. So, um working together through that is kind of the only way to do it. Oh,
0: well, I really appreciate that because I mean, for sure you and I are representatives of an experience. Um, even, you know, like I'm not a representative of all South Asian experiences as are, you know, Sorry, did like no offense, but I I bet you're not either. So I think you and I are both
1: <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. just trying to like offer what we know and learn from each other.
1: Yeah,
0: for sure. Um and for I sure. appreciate you doing that too, because I I even told you I was like, I was so curious to ask you, like, since you are someone who's dialed into this space, like, you know, this piece of brown men seeing this, what's their experience? Like I often wonder when I see, like, damn, like are Indian men getting kind of like yo, cool down. Or like, you know, like, is this infringing a little bit yeah. on that, like, piece of like, we're, you know, you're coming at us kind of feeling, which, you know, you see this like type of, again, like very hilarious response, like you know, the Me Too movement in the US where people right. are like, we just don't even know how to be in the workplace. Um, and you're like, yeah, just don't be sexist. It's
1: actually quite, it's actually quite right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that's really funny. Right.
0: So like, actually, uh, on that point, like, how can, because I, I appreciate, double appreciate you saying that, because the point isn't to attack. Um, I, you know, I don't want to live in a world where we can't move on with our Indian male counterparts, brothers, mm-hmm. friends, partners, and not be able to, you know, have a better future and choose a better future with each other that is more um, representative, pre- representative of our South Asian American experience. So how can brown women support brown men in this journey of interrupting toxic masculinity and internalizations? Um, Because I know the work, of course, we expect brown men to do some of this, like most of the work too, of examining themselves, but there comes a place too where, I'll just raise my hand. Like, I'd love to be a part of like, how do I help support my kind of friends um, in being able to elevate this conversation and help us both be more self-realized?
1: Yeah, I think think it really comes down to well, first of all, listening, uh, but even before listening, doing the work yourself, um, especially if you're coming at a situation with any kind of privilege to understand like the the privilege that you have and what that affords you to do and understanding someone else's perspective um, on what they don't have and what they feel and kind of validating those feelings. I think those are all kind of like the, the stepping stones to reaching a, a higher understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of, you know, it's, it's tough because it's, it's, at times it is uncomfortable, you know, uh, especially when someone calls you out on something, um, that can get really uncomfortable. And sometimes our first reaction is to, to get defensive or, you know, to kind of swat it away and, and, and deny it. Um, but rather than that, um, you know, sitting with, sitting with how uncomfortable it is and, and understanding like, oh, okay, I might need to change. And, um, you know. On the, on the personal side, I would definitely have definitely had to do that. On the business side, we've been really careful about how we represent things and try not to be, like, having overly religious tones or, you know, overly genderized tones mm-hmm. or anything like that, um, or even overly, like, pro-India tones. Yeah. Like, you know, everything is kind of, we've kind to position ourselves where we can still have an identity and still say, like, okay, this is our story, um, but also be inclusive to other people's stories. and. And I kind of uh, will rely on feedback from our, our customers and from our audience uh, when it comes to a time where we might slip up on that. And I'm sure, I'm sure that we will yeah. um, because it's sort of inevitable. Uh, but understanding and, and kind of coming back after those, um, after those moments and kind of creating those uh, teachable moments for yourself and for your staff, I think that that's super important.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. That's I really respect that. And, you know, the running theme I've been hearing lately, like with you and other conversations, or just like with what we're seeing in the news is like it's it's okay when you know, obviously human nature is we don't want to be threatened um with our reality. And like we wanna, you know, have mm-hmm. shortcuts to the way we think. And but um sitting with discomfort is okay. And like sometimes you might sit with a discomfort sure. and be like, wait, that person was fucked up or you might sit with a discomfort and be like, yeah, that was my fault. Um, and yeah. so I think it's like the more comfortable we can get with discomfort. I think it would be right, really lovely right. to make progress.
1: Yeah. And everything's, it's not black and white. And like, even, even that mm-hmm. com- like that conversation you might have, some things that you can be uncomfortable with, some things that are just not true. Like, you know, it could be a combination. (laughs) So uh, it's, it's always like, uh, it's always kind of like feeling the situation. out.
0: Definitely. I think we're all in a fascinating place, like in our generation and like the time we're in with the amount of presence we've had in the States with the South Asian community. And like now where we're kind of transitioning to becoming more of like, okay, there are more of us who might be first generation than before. And, Kind of choosing, right? Like mm-hmm. what kind of future we want. So I think this is just such a. It's only going to get better, in my opinion. I have a lot of hopes for Gen Z for <laughs> <sure>. as well. <laughs> for yeah. sure,
1: yeah. No, Gen Z. Gen Z is is on another level. They don't even. Oh, they're crushing the so, game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they. I feel like once they enter the workplace, things will get
0: really interesting. Oh, definitely. They're already there, which is great because they are fucking shit up. Like
1: Gen Z's already in the workplace. They are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is, right.
0: My sister's yeah. Gen Z, okay, and she's wow. in there, and it's just funny to see her. Perspective on yeah. things,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, No, it's really funny, and like they just, yeah, their whole like growing up with social media is a whole different, different vibe. Yes, so been, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see. Uh,
0: well, last but not least, I, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of balancing those dualities, or you know, dual assumes too. So actually, I'll say balancing multiple identities, and so in this clusterfuck of identities. How do you, Ian, feel like you free yourself to live your most authentic life, given that you're balancing this South Asian experience, American entrepreneur, you know, brother, et cetera?
1: Yeah. Um, hmm. I think the way I do it, it's just, I don't know, I get up every day and I love what I do and I, I go do what I do. And I, I keep an open heart and an open mind to everything that I do. So I'm always trying to get better slowly even Mm -hmm. even if it's even if it's a slow process i still uh want to see improvement in myself and everything i do and i know that i'm sort of very lucky and and blessed to be in the position that i am currently in even though uh it's been a tough last 12 months (laughs) um i still think just even being here a lot i mean i always tell i always tell my brother a lot of more a lot of more experienced restaurateurs did not make it you know, a lot of, a lot of people bought out of the game. And so to, to be in here and to be able to provide the best level of product and and, and the best level of of service I can to my customers is sort of where I, how I view it and, um, you know, keeping an open mind and, and kind of viewing all perspectives while I do that and, uh, soaking up, I mean, I'm still, when it comes to this business, I'm still very much a a novice Mm -hmm. and even in life, I guess I'm still very much, uh, you know, just learning how to, how to get by and be comfortable with myself and figuring out who I am in my, my 30s. Um, I guess, well, I'm 29 now, so we'll be hitting my, my 30s soon. Um, sh- I'm 28 now, what am I saying? Oh,
0: <laughs> Did you over... just like forget the concept of time 2020? <laughs> <In 2020. laughs> well, 2020.
2: Like, I'm 25,
0: actually. <laughs>
1: well, do, you, do, you, do you ever do this thing is like once you turn like a certain age, you'll give yourself the next year's age? so that you're already prepping for it
0: my parents used to do that and that drove me nuts so i actually just i do this thing where i just it get is. stuck on it i think i'm 27 forever i'm 30 oh you're just but. 27
1: <laughs> forever that's, <So>. that's amazing <laughs> yeah yeah no i turned 28 august i'm gonna be 29 in august uh upcoming august but i feel like i've been telling people that i'm 29 so that's really weird yeah live your um, life
0: live these last six months yeah,
1: of it <laughs> i know i think my parents do the same thing so i'm like okay so yeah whatever um yeah, so I guess I'm also just kind of discovering who I am and, and figuring out sort of what the trajectory for my own life wants is going to be considering all the things that um, I've done so far. So yeah. it, it is a constant process.
0: So before I let you go, what's custom and down to brown is I do a chip chip round, which started off rapid fire, but I just get so curious. So like, let's make it more of like a quick, brief conversation about fun things that I I normally wouldn't know about you from your coconut chai instagram does it sound okay mm-hmm.
1: for sure sounds good it's good so if
0: you had to quarantine with three celebrities it can be from sports culinary media who would they be
1: quarantine with three celebrities quarantine is an interesting question because it's not who do you want to like hang out with it's like who do you want to be stuck with stuck with <laughs> yeah. uh, which kind of changes the fact um, because there are a lot of people that I, I admire, but I don't know if I want to be stuck with. Yes. But I, I'd have to say um, one person that I was really looking forward to meeting, um, which I'm I'm not going to be able to meet, is is Chef Floyd Cardoz of uh, Bombay Bread Bar, who sadly mm. passed away last year uh, as a part of COVID. I remember oh that that COVID death hit me really hard uh, in, the, in the beginning times of it because it was like definitely someone that I wanted to meet. I definitely admired because Kick is one of the one of the you know founding father, so to speak, of, of, of Indian cooking in New York City. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's something I think I was, someone amazingly gifted me with his book and some of his uh, uh, his spices. And so I've been kind of reading through that and getting inspired, but he seems like he was a really mm-hmm. gentle soul and like someone who really appreciated, um, appreciated people uh, and appreciated newcomers too, because he was uh, close to my friends at Karai Kitchen I would always visit them. And there's kind of this uh, this thing in chefs that I'm realizing, especially in New York City chefs, where it's like super competitive. Yeah. right? And so you get into this uh, zone of just like always one-upping one another. And uh, whenever from stories I've heard, it was like Chef Jeff Floyd had no kind of uh, reservations about that and was not like that at all. It was mm. just like really welcoming to, to anyone new on the scene. So he's definitely someone that I would, like to like to meet and have a conversation with them and, and maybe even been, been quarantined with. Um, so on the other side of that, I feel like I just watched The uh, the Last Dance and I feel like Jordan would be a very interesting quarantine partner because mm-hmm. he would probably get me in shape. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and kind of show me how to uh, dig that, dig into that like really competitive side of me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, I'm sure if we, well, I'm quarantining, and he has a full basketball court, so that's that's the situation so that we're in you're so... into his house. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm sure we'll get in, we'll get in some practice games and uh I could learn a lot from from him um and then lastly, man, I don't know if I'd really want to be quarantined with him, but uh, I think jean michel Basquiat would be a really interesting quarantine partner because he'd probably be doing a lot of drugs <laughs> and painting a lot. And Some creative manic just,
2: energy?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would dip in and out of that. Like, go play a game with Jordan and then go see what Vasquez is painting um, and then cook with Chef Floyd. I think that, that would be a very interesting... Um, situation. That's
0: actually a very well-rounded answer. So I appreciate going on that journey with you. To-
1: cool, <laughs> to <thanks>. <laughs> um,
2: yeah.
0: Do you and your brother fight at all? Uh, you know, I I remember reading like you and your brother started this, and I was like, wow, if my sister and I started something, like oh, it she would get real. Yeah. So what?
1: Yeah, we fight all the time. We're actually in a fight right now. Oh
0: no! <laughs> so what um, is one of the <laughs> silliest fights you got into over the business?
1: Oh we get into. Yeah, silly and, and not so silly, I think. Uh I don't know, being in a business in a pandemic, uh, with someone that you've grown up with <laughs> is is it pushes every relationship mm-hmm. to to the limit. I think I think fighting with your brother is part of a, a relationship and like the ups and downs of it. Um you've actually gotten a lot better at it um and learn sort of how to work with each other um but there's always little things that come up i think my biggest pet peeve is him telling me to do anything in the cafe because like the cafe is my domain <laughs> and so whenever he like he like walks in there he like he doesn't work at the cafe i'm, I'm the one who's mostly at the cafe um and like he walks in there and like tells me it's like reorganize stuff i'm like bro like, <laughs> not not your domain like not your issue uh you know and so like that has been really uh, a point of uh, a point of like really um, what's the word
0: contention uh,
1: petty yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> petty contention <Yes. laughs> it's super petty yeah siblings, it's like oh, the check is should be over here in the cap like oh like why are the business cards like not in order i'm like bro like I've been working 12 hours.
0: Nice of you to walk in though.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, yeah, so. Yes,
0: I can relate to that a lot. Um, but not owning a business because that would be devastating for our yeah, relationship. No, so tough. I admire it's you guys, really guys for tough. making it work. Um, how much, speaking of being a business owner, how much of being a business owner in the restaurant um, industry allow you to date?
1: Huh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I'm no longer single now but I used to be when the cafe was open um and it was actually it was actually really good um it was actually really good because I do meet a lot of people on the job which is always nice mm-hmm. and it is a weird uh I don't like I don't flirt or hit on with any of my customers I'm just like friendly with everyone because it is weird if a pos- like a person who's serving you does yeah, that you or even yeah, like it's really hard to <laughs> yeah. read it's like a bartender is always going to be nice to you you know that doesn't mean that they like like you in that way um so i always kind of uh you know watch those positions carefully but it also allows me to, to, to meet people uh and that's great and then whenever i would go on dates once kcc was opened everyone would have already heard of it so i had this like weird like especially in the desi community i had this weird like so like minor 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 <laughs> level celebrity kind of thing going on oh I've heard of your cafe I'm like yeah yeah it's good come on get a chat so uh it it wasn't it wasn't that bad actually uh so it probably
0: helped actually I thought you would say like oh maybe I was like so busy I didn't have time to date but even when you said earlier like oh most of the customers who walk in are women I I guess if you're straight like I was like wow that's like a really great situation to be in but also you don't want to be that person
1: yeah, it has been great. Uh, but again, yeah, I don't want to be that person, and I tell you, know, keep your personal and professional lives uh, separate. Yeah, but yeah. It is always nice to be like, hey, I actually own this cafe. And everyone's like, oh, I heard of that. Right.
0: So. I mean, not that you need it now that you're taken, but I feel like there's an app that I yeah. learned about from Amy Schumer talking about her ex, where she was like, oh, like there's this one for celebrities or something, and like, oh, so maybe that would have been the place you met your person, but. <laughs>
1: I would, yeah, I would not be, upset. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't qualify right. in that way.
0: <laughs> but d celebrity, that's, that's big. Yeah,
1: I mean, being in the Manhattan business community is also just really cool outside of, outside of dating, it's just like everyone in the food food community is super hospitable to mm-hmm. each other and like can always hook each other up. So uh, that's always
0: nice. Yeah. Tapping into networks like this is so special. For sure. Um, how do you heal from burnout? Like I'm curious, like self-care, you know, especially, May when we release this episode is going to be both Asian Pacific Islander Month and Mental Health mm-hmm. Awareness Month. So I'm curious, like, well, with that yeah, intersection, it's, it's a, a mega month, you know. So
1: yeah, for sure. How do you sure.
0: take care of yourself?
1: Wow, that's a question that I'm still working on, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I made a plan after this winter to well, take care of myself a little bit better because again, it's been I took a Sunday off two weeks ago. And it was the first Sunday I had worked in the cafe um, since like September 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm there all the time, and it's exhausting. And you need to be there all the time, otherwise things fall apart. But I think um, my next goal, or in the upcoming months, is finding systems. So you know, finding ways to work on the business instead of in the business. So empowering my staff to become more managerial in the way that they handle things and like all the little things that I check up Mm. it's like I should create a system for that so that people know how to do that rather than me just like you know running after everyone and kind of taking care of of the shop it's like I should create a system where the shop is successful because of all the things that right uh because I've created the system so that's my only way of like kind of dealing with it otherwise I do have to be there all the time um and I love being there I don't think that's it's the worst thing but it can wear you down and sometimes I do see it affecting my disposition and the way that I handle um customers and that's never good um, because you don't ever want to be the grumpy chai Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's definitely something that I'm still working on so yeah I I do want to you know this summer take a couple weekends off or maybe go somewhere travel somewhere and just get out of the business but it's it's something I mean it's funny because I I was kind of self-auditing myself in February and I was like I don't know what level of burnout I'm at because (laughs) I burned out in like the beginning of April 2020 and then we kept on going and then we did like full brunch service Mm -hmm. in August once we had outdoor seating and then we did ice cream and then we did like new menus and so then we did delivery and and then holiday season like it's been non-stop and so uh, at some point you're just scraping bottom and you need to take time for yourself so um I do do that I mean Mondays are my day so Mondays I I, the cafe is closed and I have a little time to myself um but sometimes it's not even enough it's not enough to to take care of yourself yeah it's something I'm definitely still working
0: well thank you for making time on a Monday to talk to me For sure. but I I love that concept of self-auditing um I think that's something we should do more often And I think you're not alone. Like not all of us were starting a business, of course, and maintaining it and pushing it through the pandemic. But I think a lot of us, like part of us died last year and like we just kept running on fumes. And then so many people I'm talking to are kind of in this like existential phase now where it's like, how rare did I come a year later? You know, Um, maybe they don't even know how old they are, if they're 29, 28 or 30, you know?
1: (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. the only thing is like everyone has been going through it and so like now it's funny because we're I don't know I, are you vaccinated yourself mm-hmm. okay so we're at the stage where a lot of people are getting vaccinated and like we're having to you know try to be social again yeah. and like entering like we're all like re-entering the world and um it's gonna be really interesting I think oh uh, it's
0: hello weird yeah. uh last but not least in your opinion the best tv show made ever
1: best tv show ever is gonna be A tie between Breaking Bad and Seinfeld?
0: Ooh, those are good ones. Respect. I have not seen Breaking Bad though. Um, Oh, you haven't?
1: Oh, Breaking Bad's really good. Seinfeld's kind of a classic. Uh, I'm still getting through Sopranos. I've heard that's the best. That would have been my
0: answer. Yeah, Sopranos to me is like ultimate
1: yeah surprise just it's been a slow burn for me like it's I don't know I guess the, the style of drama was like a little bit slower back then so it's kind of mm-hmm. like this constant but yeah I mean the performances and the writing is amazing
0: but thank you so much Ian for spending so much time especially during your precious self-care day no
1: problem no problem this is again this is like a therapy session so
0: oh I'm so glad no it, it, it was so great. enjoyable it's mutual for
1: sure thank you for having me and thank you for your giving me the platform